Good morning. Uh, please join me as I uh, read this passage from John chapter 6, verses 60 through 71. Hear the word of the living and the true God. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it, w who it was who would betray him. And he said, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know you and, have, and, to, and then to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, family. How are you today? All right. Wow. I mean, I know winter's here now, but don't be too depressed. Did you know I, I saw my breath while I was running a couple mornings ago? Did you know that? Winter's coming, baby. It's brutal. If you're new to Okinawa, buckle up, because... Winters are brutal. The longer you're here, the more brutal they become is really the bottom line. Uh, I missed you last week. My family and I tried to punch out to Tokashiki Island, which you need to go visit if you haven't been there yet. But between the bad weather and the pumice problem that we have right now, our trip was cut very short. We were kind of told to get off the island now or we're not sure when we're going to get you off the island. So we came, we came back. I missed you, and I, I did just want to say, though, that I, I do love you. I care about you as a family. I care about you individually, and I care deeply that you flourish um, in Jesus during your time here. So I'm, I'm so glad that you're part of our family. And if you're not yet, if you're just visiting, uh, we're really glad that you're here with us. Uh, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, we're so glad that you're here. Uh, we're glad. We want to become your friend, and we would love even more to become your family while you're here in Okinawa. I do want to say two things before I pray and we begin. The first is, men, uh, in case you're not tracking, we do have a men's retreat coming up in early December. I think it's the first full weekend of December. Um, so, so please register and plan on joining us. Spots are not unlimited. Uh, we'll be up at Okuma. And if you're not sure how to sign up, like I know Ron Koya is on the planning team. Anybody else in the planning team in the room? All right, Zach's in here. Uh, it's on the I'm just Google it or something. It's on the website. It's not rocket science. But Ron and Zach can, can help you uh, get registered. Also, I, I just want to publicly say thank you to Kento. Kento served us well last week by preaching. It was his first sermon ever. And, um, and he, yeah, he, he preached and did a fantastic job. Um, and, I mean, it, it was strategic. I don't know if you noticed or not, but he had like 70 or 80 verses to cover. Uh, so that was my trip to Tokashiki. And I, I, I have 10 today. I have 10. So... Uh, Kento took one for the team last week, and uh, he did a fantastic job, and I, I don't think he's in here right now, but I just wanted to, to say that publicly. Let's pray, and we'll get right down to work. 
Father, we come before you as your kids now, just simply asking, may your kingdom come, may your will be done here in Okinawa and here in this room, just as it is in heaven. We pray that you would give us our daily bread as we come to listen to your voice today, satisfy our hunger, help us to turn from all those substitutes that we've been trying to satisfy our hunger through and to turn back to you. We thank you that as we turn, we will be met with kindness. Father, undoubtedly, there are, we have grudges in this room. There are sins that we need to forgive. And so we pray that um, you would lead us to forgive even as we have been and will be forgiven by you. Father, you know that we have hearts that lead us so quickly into temptation. So we pray that you would lead us away from those temptations and lead us into the way of life. Help us to see you as we sang a few moments ago, to see your beauty. Father, we do pray that you would pour your spirit out and empower us. Give us life uh, through your spirit. Help us to see Jesus as our hero, our <clears throat> perfect older brother, and our rescuing king this morning. And we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. So we continue on in our series through the gospel according to John. And any one of you could stand up by this time and tell us what our series theme is. So what is our series theme? All right, Jesus is life. Jesus is my life, right? He's, he's our life. It's really that simple. Jesus is life. The big idea in the passage this morning is, is right here. It's this. We cannot cancel Jesus, but we may need to deconstruct our Christian confidence. And I want to put Christian confidence in there because, well, we'll get to that in a moment because I'm not trying to de deconstruct any sincere expression of our Christian faith, but... There is a lot that masquerades around as sincere Christian faith, and uh, every one of us in the room has something that, that needs to be uh, deconstructed. We cannot cancel Jesus, but we may need to deconstruct something about our Christian faith. Just to put you all at ease, like go ahead and take a deep breath. You're like, what kind of, what kind of pastor is this anyway? Is, is he even a Christian? Um, let me just talk about those two words briefly, cancel culture. Guys, we got to stop freaking out about cancel culture. That's really the bottom line. Like, let's just go read the book of Ecclesiastes and be reminded that there's simply nothing new under the sun. So that includes this thing that we call cancel culture. Cancel culture was around well before we even had those two words in our vocabulary. Uh, I'm going to show you that in the scripture this morning. I, we could turn to Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3, and I could show you cancel culture. And then on every page of the scripture all the way to Revelation, I could show you cancel culture or attempts at it, right? It's a deeply entrenched value in our rebel hearts. And even though we're in, we, many of us have been adopted into God's family and been given a new heart, those rebel tendencies remain. I grew up in the 1980s and 90s. Cancel culture was there, just like it is here. We just have a name for it now. Um... So we just need to relax. It's okay. As for deconstruction, uh, I really like this quote. This is one of my, uh, I really appreciate this pastor. He's got a, and not just because he pastors in Philadelphia, but uh, there's bonus right there. Um, but he says this deconstruction, this is Eric Mason, deconstruction is the process of reevaluating your core beliefs. Is that not wise? I mean, that's, that's wise. Now, there could be a reckless way to, to deconstruct for sure. And we're not going to get way down into the weeds on that this morning. Uh, but I, could, I would be happy to recommend some resources if you want to deep dive on, on deconstruction. Um, 
Are we not in favor of evaluating our core beliefs in the interest of ensuring that they actually align with who Jesus is and what he says? Because again, full disclosure, many of us, uh, if you did grow up within a Christian culture, if we're just going to be honest, we all have to admit that there were expressions in those cultures that were not were not or are not aligned with who Jesus is and, and uh, the, the gospel that Jesus preaches. It would be a proud person that would stand here and say there, there was nothing inconsistent about any of my Christian expression throughout life, right? So uh, we're going to see a necessary deconstruction in the text today. And uh, I'll just go on record as saying, and, and maybe a minority of pastors would say this, but I hope that while you're here in Okinawa, you do some deconstructing. I, I, I as a pastor, want you to deconstruct, um, and I, I want to show you where I hope you deconstruct too, uh, and we'll get to that in the text, okay? But take a deep breath. I'm not going to yell or scream or get radical, I don't think. Um, it's not a left sermon or a right sermon. I just want it to be a gospel sermon, okay? All right, so can't cancel Jesus, but we might need to deconstruct something about our faith. Let's uh, look into the text, right? So we're in John chapter 6. It's what Brent just read for us. John chapter 6. And picking up where Kento left off in verse 60, we see that when many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying, who can listen to it? Uh, so just two things there. They heard something. John says it. So we got to figure out what the it is. It's actually a couple things kind of strung together. Um, but, but then he also says it's a hard saying who can understand it. Now, let me just say something real quick. It's not intellectually hard. It's not Christianity is not for the academics or the schoolhouse or uh, those of you who aced the ASVAB or uh, SAT, AC. Like it's, not for, it's not just for the elite. It's for all of us, thankfully. It's for those of us who grew up in a trailer park and got an ASVAB waiver, like the gospel's for everybody, it's not hard to understand intellectually. The gospel can be comprehended by my four-year-old son who's still learning his alphabet. And he said something crazy yesterday, and I wish I could remember what he said, because just to illustrate that, man, that the mind of a four-year-old is beautiful and simple, and in innocence, it's so imaginative, and that four-year-old mind can comprehend the beauty of the gospel. So when he says hard to understand, we're not talking about the intellect. We're talking about Jesus says some really hard things that are difficult for us to accept in our rebel tendencies. That's what he's saying. So what are those things? Uh, we're not going to try to overview everything that Kento preached last week, but I think I can give you, in a nutshell, the three most offensive points that Jesus made last week that led this crowd of over 5,000 people to want to cancel Jesus. And in fact, uh, do the work of canceling him. So Jesus goes after their insincerity, their inconsistency, and their inability. Those three things. Let me just show you. We're still in John chapter 6. Look at, it'll be on the screen for you, but look at verse 26. Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, right? Over 5,000 people trying to find Jesus. Not because you saw signs, all the amazing things that Jesus was doing to restore life, but because you, look at this, here's why people wanted Jesus. He was handing out naan, right? That's it, like free naan and all you could eat naan. You would go to that party. And so Jesus says, look, you're not coming to me because you, you sincerely believe I am who I say I am. You're not sincere. You're not even coming to me because I see these amazing signs I'm doing to, you don't care about the man at the well that I just healed. 
You don't care about the woman at the well that I just received. You don't care about those people. You're just happy because I satisfied one of your basest desires. You're here for more bread. You get what you want from me, so you wear a cross. You get what you want from me, so you're still Protestant on your dog tags. You get what you want from me, so you still go to church when you go home to see mom or grandma. You get what you want. I'm convenient for you. I, I, I fill a need. I make you happy. I satisfy you, so you want more bread. And they're like, Jesus, we're not insincere like that. But do you have any of this, like, garlic cheese? That'd be fantastic. <laughs> like, I would go to that. I would go to the garlic cheese break, multiplying of bread. So Jesus goes after their insincerity. And then if you just drop down about 10 verses or so, verses 35 and 36, not only are they insincere, we can relate to that, they're inconsistent. Jesus says in verse 35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me, you're not going to be hungry anymore. Like I'll satisfy your soul. He's not talking about their physical belly now. He's talking about their soul. And whoever believes in me, you're never going to be thirsty again. Man, that longing that you have in your soul to be satisfied will only and ultimately be satisfied in me, but I will satisfy you if you come. Verse 36 says, but I said to you, look at this. He says, you have seen me. In other words, you've seen me for who I am. I told you who I am and I told you what I will do for you, but you don't believe me. So not only are you insincere, you're inconsistent. You say you're hungry and you say you're thirsty and I've shown you who I am, but you won't eat and you won't drink. So which is it? You're hungry or not? Like, are you thirsty or not? Do you want to be satisfied? You're inconsistent. So he goes after their insincerity. He goes after their inconsistency. And then maybe the most offensive point in verse uh, 40, where are we at? 43, 44. Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. Look at this, guys. You need to see these words and feel the weight of them. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. So now he's going after their inability. Um, I, just, like, I just have to tell you this. That word draw, um, if we were to illustrate it right now, I would need the biggest person in the room to go lay down on the floor and allow all their weight to be dead. And then I would need the smallest person in the room, your daughter, we, would you be willing to do that? <laughs> to walk on over here and try to move this lifeless mass across the room. The word draw literally means pick up a completely non-cooperative, completely incapable mass, an unwilling mass, and move it. So some of you run your, it's CFT time, right? The fireman's carry, that's what we're talking about. But not where you like cheat and align it so you're carrying a small, not that, like if you're stuck with the heaviest person. Or for those of you who are parents already, that moment where your toddler or your elementary student has had enough, the carriage has turned back into a pumpkin, like all the things have happened, or however that story goes, the horses or rats, whatever, however it goes, and your child has reached the bewitching hour, you have to draw them, meaning you have to go over and pick them up and bring them where they don't want to go. Guys, without any kind of denominational like filters attached to it, without any like systematic theology filters attached to it, Jesus, in as plain language as he can use, is looking every one of us in the eyes and saying, you're insincere, you're inconsistent, and even if you weren't, even if you wanted to be rescued by me, you are unable to get yourself back to the Father. I have to do the work 
for you. That's, I mean, that's just what he's saying. So now back to verse 60, right? This is when many of his disciples heard it. They said, man, these are hard sayings. I don't like this. I'm plugging my ears. I'm canceling Jesus. But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, you take offense at this? Like, is, is that offensive to this? And then I can just imagine, so here's Peter. Peter, we'll get to know him more and more, and we'll, we'll hear from him in a minute. Peter likes controversy. He likes that people are offended. So that phrase, hold my beer, originates with Peter. And this is one of the first moments where he's like, guys, hold, hold my root beer or my whatever, however you need it to work, okay? Um, hold this, because watch what's going to happen. And so Jesus says, look, are you offended by this? I, I got to tell you, it actually gets a little more offensive. And so he says, I want you to imagine with me, or I want you to imagine then, verse 62, what if, right? Those are imaginative words. I want you to imagine that you could see this thing in the future. What if, what if you were able to see the Son of Man, me, ascending to where he was before. Now, that could be a really simple question or there's a little kind of hidden meaning to it. The simple meaning would simply be this. Jesus' ascension would prove or verify or validate all of these things that he's been saying that they have been rejecting, right? So in his ascension, they would be like, oh, snap, he really was like the son of God. He was telling the truth and, and there he goes. We, we were wrong, right? So it could be that. I think it's more than that. I think Jesus is using the word ascension kind of as a category because in order to get to the ascension, where does he have to go? He's got to go to the cross, right? He's got to suffer. He's got to die. He's got to go to the grave. He's got to resurrect. All these things have to happen. And so these offensive things that Jesus has said to rebels will become more offensive because the message of the cross is not that Jesus is going to solve all the problems through political power and so on and so forth, but through suffering and death on our behalf. So, so the king that they think they have is going to go to his grave. He's going to die first. And then he will raise again, and then he will ascend. But here's where it gets even more offensive. The message of the gospel to you is, if you want to follow Jesus, you have to follow Jesus' way. In the same way that Jesus died, he calls you to come and die to yourself and to your rebel ways so that you can live in Christ. So it's not just that Jesus had to die for you, if you're going to follow him as, one of, as a member of his family, his invitation to you is come and die. Lay your life down. Lay that rebel life down. Don't live for your own will or your own passions anymore. Come live for me. Maybe that's all wrapped up in there. I kind of think it is. But even if it's not, Jesus is still saying, you're going to be offended. Uh, God the Father is going to prove that I'm telling the truth. I'm going to ascend, and your unbelief will be exposed. And then Jesus just clarifies, right? This is offensive, so he wants to make sure things are clear for them. And so he says this in verse 63. Listen, this is just kind of Jesus like bringing the whole talk together with three, uh, maybe three points of summary. Jesus says, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. Guys, let's be slow here. Like, let's be present with these words because maybe some of you have never read these in the Bible before. Maybe you've never heard them before, or maybe you've heard them, and you're like, mm, Jesus couldn't have meant that. Like, there's got to be another, there's got to be an explanation for this. Well, there's not. They just mean what they mean. Um, the flesh would be not so much your skin and bones. Uh, this is used representatively of your humanity, like you as a person. Um, you cannot give yourself or restore to yourself the life you need. 
nor can another person do that for you, no matter how much good they do for you. The flesh is of no help at all, he says. It's the spirit who gives life. So that's just, that's Jesus recapping, look, guys, I told, I told you. I'm just, like, I'm tell, he's not mean about this, being sincere and kind. He's saying, you are insincere, you're inconsistent, but worst of all, you're incapable. The flesh is no help at all. If you're going to live, the spirit has to give you life, right? So he's, he's summarizing that point. And then he says, um, the words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life, verse 64, but there are some of you who do not believe. So first he says, the spirit gives life, flesh is no help at all. Um, and then he looks him in the eye and he says, some of you don't believe. Now, Jesus is being really kind because I think some, he could have just looked at him and said, most of you don't believe. Um, almost all of you don't believe, even though the very words I'm giving to you right now are spirit and life. Meaning, like, how did the world come into existence? Jesus spoke and the spirit's working to bring it all to life. That's the same way that he brings our own hearts to life. He speaks the word and the, the spirit uses the spoken word to bring our hearts to life. And he's like, I'm speaking those words and you still don't believe me. Interestingly, it says Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. In verse 65, right, he, he, kind of sum, he, he goes back to the work that the Father has to do. He says, and this is exactly why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. So before it said that the Father had to draw us. Now it's a different word. Now it's, it's grant. It's just a gift, meaning none of us are going to come to him on our own. We're inconsistent, insincere, and incapable. And so, in, so the Father doesn't have to give us this gift. He would be just in leaving us alone in our insincerity and inconsistency and incapability. He'd be just to do that. But because he's kind and merciful, he gives this gift whereby he, 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 he brings us to himself. He sends Jesus and he sends the gospel through the spirit and he brings us to himself. But what's the result of this? Well, here's our cancel culture verse here, or right here, verse 66. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. After this, many of his disciples turned back and, and, and no longer walked with him. And like John, I thought you said we can't cancel Jesus. Like they just, they just canceled Jesus. They just walked away. Well, at the risk of getting ahead of ourselves, I think we just need to pause and consider where the rest of the narrative of John goes. Where does that narrative go? Well, there are instances where we see Jesus actually weeping over the crowds, brokenhearted over the crowds filled with people who are trying to work their cancel culture against him. So we see the crying Jesus. We see the pursuing Jesus. He goes after the crowds. But where do we see his love displayed most powerfully? Jesus goes to the cross willingly for the very people in the crowds who were trying to cancel him through their refusal to believe. Jesus goes to the cross, and then he goes to the grave, and he resurrects, and then what does he do? He gathers all of his followers together, and we know this as the commission, right? The great commission. So what does he do? He says, um, guys, listen, we're, we're going to rescue a lot of people, but do you remember all the people who canceled me? We're not going to them. We're going to leave them alone in the crowds, right? That was basically the conversation that Jesus had. No, it's not, is it, right? Jesus said, I'm, I'm, I'm sending you out. I'm going to send you where? Into Judea and Samaria and where? 
the uttermost, the darkest corners of the world where the cancel culture crowds are hiding, and I'm going to pursue them in my love and my mercy, and I am going to draw them to myself, and I'm going to rescue people who did not even want to believe when I was here in flesh and blood to pursue them. Guys, he's kind, and he's merciful, and he's relentless. If you're in the crowd this morning, and some of you are, some of you are in this crowd, um, you have to know that Jesus is pursuing you even now. You're, he is actively running after you for your rescue and for your good, even though your heart is closed, your heart is cold, and you're so slow to believe, and you're still running the other direction. He's pursuing you in love to rescue you. You have to know that. So the crowds turn away at this point, though Jesus will relentlessly pursue them himself and through his followers, through the work of the Spirit. And then he turns to his followers in verse 67, and he says, here's this question that needs to be our question. Hey, what, what do you guys want to do with this? Like most people are leaving. Would you like, would you like to join the majority? Um, it's the age-old question your mom asks you, right? Man, if all your friends jumped off the bridge, would you jump off the bridge? Like Jesus is giving them the out. Most people are walking away right now. What would you like to do with me? Would you like to leave as well? And guys, whether you know it or not, for most of you, for the season of life that you're in right now, this needs to be your question. Because most of your existence prior to moving away from everything that you've known and everybody who knows you has been kind of safe and guarded in this way. Oh, John, he's a Christian. Right, Sally loves, that's not a name anymore, <laughs> sorry. Rachel loves God, right? She's, she, she's such a good Christian girl. I can't believe she's marrying somebody in the Air Force, right? Uh, it, more true if it was Marine Corps, I guess, but Air Force likes to be equated there sometimes, so we'll let them step up today. But now you're in an environment where you're away from all of that. Guys, don't push that question down anymore. Wrestle with it. Jesus is asking you the same question today that he asked Peter. He's looking you in the eyes and saying, what, what do you want to do with me? Do something. Do something. See, the crowds were distant and went further away. So if you're in the crowd, uh, part of your problem is distance from Jesus. You need to come close to him. And this is Jesus' invitation to you to step away from the crowd and step toward him. So he looks to Peter, or he looks to the disciples, and Peter's just Peter, right? Peter does what Peter does. If, there's a, if, if they go to karaoke, Peter's taking the microphone most of the time, right? If the disciples have one social media account, Peter manages it, right? It's, it's all Peter all the time. This is Peter. And so Peter answers, Lord, all right. I'm not sure why you're asking this, but who, who would we go to if, if we were to leave you? Because we do believe that you have what he calls the words of eternal life. Now, remember, if you weren't here a couple weeks ago, eternal can mean time, and it certainly does mean time. But more often than not, eternal speaks to a quality of life, right? So Jesus' words bring us to a quality of life that we never would know in our rebellion. You're pursuing quality of life. That's what you want. That's what you want. That's why many of you are considering 
I just need to get out of here and I'll get the quality of life. I need a different spout, whatever it is. We're always looking for quality of life. We don't have it and can't find it because it's not to be found when you're in rebellion from God. Uh, quality of life is found in uh, re- repentance from our sin and reconciliation with our Father, coming back home to the Father. Jesus brings us there. So he has the words of eternal life, okay? Not, not so much time, although it's true, uh, more quality of life, the life we were created for. So Jesus, Peter's like, look, Jesus, you have these words. You've, you've shown us this. And we... Notice that. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And so Peter, it sounds good, right? It sounds really good. And here's where we're going to start talking about deconstruction a little bit. It sounds good. Peter's confession sounds exactly like what your mom would want you to say, your pastor would want you to say, what you hope your kids grow up and say. And while on one hand, let's be fair to Peter, his confession is good. He says true things about Jesus. We, Jesus, we believe that basically what he's saying by using those titles is we believe that you're our creator. We believe that you're our rightful king. Uh, We know we rebelled. God promised to send a rescuer. We believe you're that rescuer. Uh, We believe we need to submit ourselves in all of life to you. Like it's this big confession. We believe all these things. But it's something like the Leaning Tower of Pisa. I didn't get a picture for it, but you don't need one, right? You all, you, all, you all have a picture in your mind of what the Leaning Tower of Pisa looks like, basically. It's a tower that leans. And is it in Pisa? Is that the deal? All right, Leaning Tower of Pisa. Um, so there it is. Why does it lean? Like, the building itself is fine. It's actually an architectural masterpiece, kind of like Peter's confession. That was, that was masterful. That was a really, he went to Sunday school. He rehearsed the catechisms with Pillar on Sunday morning. They had devotions over, he did it. He just regurgitated it. It's good. It was good. But Peter's leaning. There's a fatal flaw in his foundation that Jesus is about to expose. And this is, this is why I want to talk to you about some deconstruction. Do you notice Peter's emphasis in here when he's giving this confession? Verse 69, he says, we is, it's really essentially uh, repeated twice, but it, it leads the sentence. We have believed and we, the 12, we have come to know we are nothing like the masses that are walking away from you. They can't see it. They're blind. They've not come to know Jesus We're confident, we're confident that we're not leaving you because we. And guys, that's where you need to deconstruct. Because that's how most of us would answer Jesus' question this morning. How do you know you're a Christian? I prayed a prayer on fill in the blank. I did this, do that, don't do this, do that, right? We, it's we-centric, it's not Jesus-centric. And so it's a fantastic confession, but it's fatally flawed, and it's Peter's leaning because the foundation is, is himself and his own understanding and his own choices, and in a sense that he's better than the people who have rejected, and um, it, it's just, it's Peter-centric right there. And so where's the deconstruction? Look at this, verse 70. Jesus simply, I mean, you can see Jesus doing this, and you can hear it, and you can see into his eyes. Um, He says, Peter, 
didn't I choose you? <laughs> didn't, didn't I choose you? Like, weren't you just here for that talk about my dad and how you were the screaming toddler on the floor and like he had to pull you into the family? Like, weren't you here for that talk where I said you were a rebel who wanted nothing to do with me, but my father gives this gift of kindness to you and he sends me and he brings you into the family? Peter, don't you remember? Like, you didn't choose me first. Like, I chose you and then he gets into this thing about Judas and a devil and betrayal. We'll get there. I don't want to focus on Judas this morning, um, not because it's unimportant, but we'll, 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 we'll get to Judas's piece in the coming weeks, because I really want to focus on, on this with Peter and for ourselves. And so there's kind of a two-phase deconstruction that I want you to go through, um, if you're willing. Um, and write home and tell your mom that your pastor wants you to deconstruct while you're in Okinawa, right? Um, that'll clear some seats up for next week for more people to come and be with us. We're supposed to be socially distanced anyway, so that'll help. Um, Two-phase deconstruction. The people in the crowds wouldn't come to Jesus because they thought they had an understanding of life. And, and Jesus did not fit what they'd been taught for their whole lives. So rather than believing and following Jesus, they believed what they had always known, and they went with their gut, and they walked away. And family, like, I just, I want to be gently honest with you this morning. More of us are among the crowd than are among the 12. And here's what I mean. All of those people in the crowd had an inherited confession. And that inherited confession was an impersonal one. They were distant from Jesus. They were far off. They were practicing a family faith. And many of you are did practice a family faith, and many of you are still practicing a family faith. It's a faith that belongs to your last name, not your first name. Many of us are in the crowd. We turned away a long time ago. Our, we're here in flesh and blood, like our bodies are here, but our hearts are cold. Like, it looks like on the outside that we have not turned away, but on the inside... We're so self-conscious of it. We're so aware. We feel like other people can see it. They can't, but we do. And so we've turned away. And so that first phase of deconstruction, I almost picture like this crane. You see them all over Okinawa anyway, these tall cranes with two wrecking balls on it. And one of them has Peter's name written on it. And then one of them has Jesus. The bigger wrecking ball has Jesus. And so the people in the crowd need Peter's wrecking ball to sweep through them. Because again, remember, his confession's good. His confidence is not good. It's wrong. But his confession is good. And so you, for, for kind of phase one deconstruction, for those of you in the crowd, I want you, while you're in Okinawa, to get to the place, and Jesus wants this for you, where you can say of Jesus, where else would we go? He has the words of eternal life. I have believed them, and I have come to know that he's my rescuing king. That's fantastic. But then there's a phase two deconstruction that needs to happen. For many of us who are currently making that confession, we're just like Peter, and we are at the center of the confession. And our confidence in the faith is in ourselves and how we feel and what we say. Like, for example, for those of you who come, who did grow up in church backgrounds, especially more conservatively like myself, your confidence is in right theology or right belief. I'm confident because I know I believe the right things. And I'm not so sure about the people on the fringes who believe differently than me, but I'm good. 
without unpacking everybody's maybe false sources of confidence, we could just go right on down the line. Anything other than Jesus at the core is a, is a leaning tower of Pisa. And so some of you need to deconstruct out of the crowd into Peter's confession. Many of us, probably most of us, need to deconstruct further from Peter's uh, confession right to Jesus' question, which says to us, hey, John, relax. Didn't I, choo- didn't, didn't I choose you? Didn't I choose you? So that come hell or high water, when the bad days come, my confidence is not anchored in my emotion, which is so fickle. Guys, I felt great yesterday, day off with my family, and just like a little preach sermon, and then you question your salvation for like the next 36 hours, right? (laughs) And then you start the week all over again, and you go back at it, right? Like you just, emotional roller coaster. It's not sermons for you, but it's something else. You have the highs and the lows. Some days you feel like, man, God really loves me. Then like less than six hours later, you're like, man, God hates me, or he's forgotten about me. Like, uh, why wasn't my order, like, extension in Okinawa approved? I thought he cared for me and wanted me to be in Okinawa longer, whatever it is. We got to deconstruct, guys. Some of you grew up in the church. Man, your heart, you know it. Like, your heart's just so old. You know all the right answers, but in your heart, you're so distant from Jesus. It's an inherited confession, and it's impersonal. The proper confession but it's powerless. They're just words. You know the words, and there's no heart. There's no relationship. The Father wants us to deconstruct here. And can I just show you um, what this did for Peter? I'll, I'll finish with this. This is in 1 Peter. I think it'll be on the screen. So Peter deconstructs. Peter deconstructed. That question and the answer to that question rocked Peter. Now, Peter would need to, he would construct, Jesus would build him up, and Peter, Peter kind of lived a life of construction and deconstruction, if you will. And guys, can I just say, that should be really encouraging to us. You don't ever really totally arrive. So let me just like really lean in here and give you some encouragement. Uh, we basically need to be de- deconstructing every day and then rebuilding in the simplicity and the purity of Jesus and his gospel. So I get up on any given day, Jesus is my king. So I'm like, Jesus, look, I know I bring a lot of preconceived ideas into this relationship. Here's what I really bring. I bring the sense that I have to prove myself to you, that I have to earn my place in the family or keep myself in the family or whatever it is, fill in the blank. And, and, And Jesus, please expose all of my faulty assumptions and my fake, my fake foundations. Please don't let me lean. You be my friend. Expose it all. Let, so every day for us becomes deconstruction and reconstructing in the gospel. And here's Peter's, here's what happened when Peter finally reconstructed on the simplicity of the gospel. This is beautiful. I'm not going to preach a sermon on it. I just want to read it to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Why am I in God's family? Because God is incredibly kind and so full of mercy. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable. Look at this. Undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. Now look at verse 5, guys. This is Peter's reconstruction after he deconstructed. Peter puts himself right here. I am being kept by God's power. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith 
for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice. So what's it look like to deconstruct? It's just, Father, I rejoice in so many other things besides Jesus and his active work to guard me and bring me all the way home. Please deconstruct all of those. Bring me out of the crowd. Bring me to Peter's confession. And then please bring me from Peter's confession to the beautiful simplicity that you chose me. Now listen, you as a member of our father's family, you cannot cancel Jesus. There is nothing that you can do or say that will cause the father to feel differently about you and kick you out of the family. And because you can't cancel Jesus, the Father will never cancel you. Can't be canceled. Guys, that's really good news for us. And so let's just wrap it this way. Most of us have very many moments from this last week that are cancel-worthy, don't we? We have a decade behind us of rebel choices that have left a wake of destruction in our own souls and most painfully in the souls of other people. There's a record of debt against us. You want to celebrate a cancel culture? Celebrate this. The Father says that I have canceled the record of debt held against you because Jesus went to the cross in your place. Guys, you walk into this room, you carry a heavy burden of guilt and shame. You expect to be yelled at and beat down and shamed into repentance. And the Father looks at you with kind eyes and with a kind voice and says, I'm going to be kind to you. And it's my kindness that's going to bring you home to repentance in the family. You thought you canceled Jesus. It's impossible to cancel Jesus. He relentlessly pursues and he went to the cross even though you tried to cancel him. And in kindness, he pours out his mercy on you. And you're a rebel little child who's thrown in a fit and doesn't want to come home and he picks you up and brings you all the way home to the family and I will never let you go rejoice in this come hell or high water rejoice in this um, Ron's going to come now and, and lead us in a, a moment of reflection and prayer and, and celebration through communion Thank you.